chapter 7. John chapter 7. John chapter 7, and we'll look at verses 14 through verse 24 this morning. And this afternoon we'll continue uh, looking a little farther into that this chapter. The Apostle John wrote of Jesus, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And throughout the Gospel of John, it sets forth both the tragedy of unbelief along with the triumphs of belief. John wrote his Gospel to show who Jesus is. And remember, The key verse is in chapter 20, verse 31, where it says that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Now to have saving faith, it's crucial that you understand correctly who Jesus is. And we've been speaking about that and particularly spoke about that last Sunday morning, who is Jesus? But in our text, Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles at, in Jerusalem. It's six months before he would be arrested and crucified. And before he showed himself public, publicly at this feast, the crowds were debating. Some were saying, well, he's a good man. Others were saying, nay, but he deceiveth the people. And John wants us to see that neither of these are viable options. Jesus could not have been merely a good man and said the things that he said. If a mere man claimed that he would give living water so that the one who drank it would never thirst again, or if he claimed to be the bread of life so that whoever ate of him would never hunger and have eternal life, or if he claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, and said that the only way people could come to God, you would not say he's a good man. If he was just a man. You would say, no, he's a crazy, power-hungry man. At the same time, Jesus was obviously too good of a man to be a deliberate deceiver. And so John wants us to see that Jesus is the eternal Son of God in human flesh, and he wants us to see Jesus' glory so that we might believe in him as our Lord and our God. But John knows full well that believing in Jesus isn't the automatic response to him. There's always going to be division. Some are going to believe. Some are going to be indifferent. Some are going to reject him vehemently. And so here John shows us the reaction of the Jewish leaders and the crowds to Jesus when he went into the temple in the midst of the feast and began to teach. And although Jesus was sent from God, he taught God's truth and he sought God's glory and he did miraculous works, people rejected him because they valued the wrong things and they were not willing to obey God. They were legalistic hypocrites. They were under satanic influence, and they were judging by outward appearance. Or we could say, although Jesus is the true and righteous one, people reject him because of their many sins. 
The Holy Spirit did not see fit to tell us the content of Jesus' teaching on this occasion, but rather John records the reaction of the people to Jesus' teaching. And in the narrative, he gives us four solid reasons that Jesus is, as he claims to be, the true and no unrighteousness is in him. Notice, first of all, the true and righteous one. When Jesus claims to be true, he claims or he means that he embodies all that is true. And he also adds, and no unrighteousness is in him. Jesus is claiming to be absolutely true with no hint of deception or sin in him. And also in the other places in John where a person is said to be true, it's also used of God. Chapter 3 and chapter 8, we'll see that again next in the next chapter. But thus, John wants us to see that Jesus alone shares the quality, this quality, with God. And there are four facts that support Jesus' claim to be true and righteous. He is true and righteous because, number one, he was sent here by God. Jesus emphasizes this twice here. In verse 16, he says, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. And then in verse 18, he says, He that seeketh his glory hath sent him. The same is true. And he's going to mention it again later in the chapter, in verses 28 and 29. He says, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am, and I am not come of myself, but... He that sent me is true, whom ye know not, but I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. See, it's a major theme in the book of John, that Jesus is the one sent to this earth by God the Father. Why did Jesus emphasize this so often? It's a matter of his preexistence and his authority. He was or if he was a religious upstart who came from, you know, just out of the blue with his own ideas and he promoted himself alone, well, why would anybody believe him? If the one true God sent him and he is also true, then we'd better believe him and we'd better obey him. So to reject Jesus is to reject God who sent him. He is sent here by God. He is true and righteous, number two, because Jesus taught God's truth. We saw this as we read verses 14 through 17. Jesus did not go up to the feast with his brothers to make a grand entrance as his brothers had advised him to do. Why? Because the people wanted to make him a political king. But sometime in the midst of the feast, he did go up to the temple and he began to teach. And a crowd quickly gathered around him. And probably in, uh, the charge that we find in verse 15 is coming from the Jewish leaders. And they're addressing to the people listening to Jesus. And their astonishment, their marveling here, did not mean that they were favorably impressed by Jesus' teaching. Rather, they marveled at his audacity to take the role of a religious leader or teacher in the temple when he lacked the proper credentials as a Jewish authority. You see, they're trying to discredit Jesus in front of the crowd. They say, this man, and they use that in a derogatory way, this man. 
He purports to be learned. But he was never educated in our schools. He never got a doctorate. He never got even a master's or a, you know, he never even got a diploma from high school. He never got a GED. But John is using irony. Here are these proud Jewish leaders. They're calling the eternal word who created the world. This is the very one who was at creation, involved in creation. As we are told in chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was God, was the word, and the, the word was with God, and the word was God, created all things. And they have the audacity to question him as not being a very learned man, not a very smart person. He created the universe. They're saying he's uneducated. And Jesus responds to their challenge here in verse 16. He says, my doctrine is not mine, but this is this his that it sent me. Again, there's that idea of being sent. And Jesus is saying, I don't need your education. I don't need your humanly conferred degrees because I'm speaking truth directly from the living and true God who sent me here to preach and teach. In spiritual matters, the ideas of philosophers and religious teachers are often mere speculation. Such thinkers have not come from God. They can only guess at what he's like. But here is Jesus Christ who came from God. He could authoritatively teach us about God, about man, about sin, and how we can have eternal life. I'll say a little bit more about verse 17 in a moment, but for now, just notice here that Jesus says what he says about how a person can know whether his teaching originated from him or from God. He says, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. You know, when you're witnessing sometime to an unbeliever about Christ, You should challenge them to read the Gospels and pay attention to the teaching of Jesus. Many have read, many have studied the Gospels, but they've still come away as unbelievers. And the key is to tell the unbeliever, as you read, tell God that if he will show you that Jesus is true, then you'll be willing to obey him. And if a person comes to the Gospels as a scoffer and he reads them, and he'll go away as a scoffer. If he comes with a willing heart and willing to obey God's will, then God's going to show him the truth about Jesus. And so he's true and righteous because he taught God's truth. Thirdly, he's true and righteous because Jesus sought God's glory. We continue on in verse 18 where he says, He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory hath sent him. The same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. When Jesus came to this earth, he voluntarily laid aside the glory that he had shared with the Father from all eternity and took on the form of a slave, a servant, being obedient even to the death of the cross, it tells us in Philippians chapter 2. And he is now risen, ascended, and restored to his rightful full glory at the Father's right hand. And he'll come again in power and glory to judge the living and the dead. 
But when he was here on earth, Jesus' aim was to glorify the Father. And he states that this, not the rabbinical credentials from the accredited schools, was a test of a true teacher. That's true of all who purport to teach God's truth. You know, if a person or a man or woman glories in their academic degrees and they seek to exalt themselves, they're really not a teacher of God's truth. When you have any idea of the righteousness and majesty of God, you're painfully aware of your own inadequacies and your own unworthiness. And you'll cry out, even as the psalmist did in Psalm 115, in verse 1, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. So Jesus is true and he's righteous because he was sent here by God. He taught God's truth and he sought God's glory. And finally, Jesus is true and righteous because Jesus did God's miraculous works. We see this in verses 19 through 23. Draw, Jesus draws a contrast between himself and the hypocritical Pharisees. There's no unrighteousness in Jesus, we're told there in verse 18. But the Jews who boasted in the law didn't actually keep the law. That's seen in the fact that they were trying to kill Jesus. The crowd, which consisted of Jews from all over Israel as well as from other countries, may not have been aware of the evil intent of the leaders, but they accused Jesus of having a devil. See that in verse 20. And Jesus responds in verse 21 by referring back to the incident in John chapter 5, where he healed a man by the pool of Bethesda and told him to carry his bed on the Sabbath. And as a result of this one deed, the Jews were persecuting him and seeking to kill him. He would seem to be saying, the reason Moses gave you the law that requires a baby to be uh, circumcised the eighth day, (coughs) even if that day happens to be on the Sabbath, is that he was pleading my cause in advance. Moses was requiring you to commit the same Sabbath transgression that you're seeking to kill me for. If it's lawful to purify one part of the body by circumcision on the Sabbath, then why is it wrong for me to heal an entire man on the Sabbath? Remember, Nicodemus told Jesus, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him in chapter 3. Or as the man born blind whom Jesus healed told the hostile Jewish leaders uh, later on here in chapter 9, if this man were not God, not of God, he could do nothing. Or as Jesus tells the same religious leaders in chapter 10, if I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. So here is solid evidence for believing that Jesus is the true and righteous one. He was sent here by God. He taught God's truth. He sought God's glory. And he did God's miraculous works. So why do people still reject Jesus as Savior and Lord? You'll find them still rejecting them. When you go out and witness and you tell somebody about Jesus, nah, I don't want anything to do with that. 
You may even show them stuff like this. But they reject Jesus as Savior and Lord as these people do. That brings us to the many sins of the rejectors. People reject Jesus in spite of who he is because of their many sins. And this text here gives us five sins that cause the religious Jews to reject Jesus. First of all, they value the wrong things. Verse 15, the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? As we've already seen, these Jewish leaders valued their training. They had perhaps a good old boy club of those who graduated from their schools. And when uh, they taught in the synagogues and the temples, the rabbis would cite the proper authorities. And here was a young upstart from an insignificant town of Nazareth teaching the people without citing, not even quoting these esteemed rabbis. And he would say, ye have heard it said, but I say unto you. As we studied Matthew, we saw that quite often. Matthew chapter 7, he said, And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. Now, there's nothing wrong with uh, academic degrees. Uh, If you... Uh, if we put such a premium on these degrees that we disregard or belittle godly men who lack the degrees, I think sometimes we might miss some deep spiritual blessings. I think of John Bunyan. Know who John Bunyan is? John Bunyan was the author of Pilgrim's Progress. If you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, you need to. Be a blessing to you. But John Bunyan did not have any formal training. But he had the deep insight into the Bible and he could preach it with power. The king of England once asked John Owen, the learned Puritan theologian who was the vice chancellor of Oxford University, how he could go listen to a tinkerprate. How can you go listen to a tinkerprate? Bunyan's trade was to fix pots and pans. And so he had that nickname of being a tinkerprate. Owen replied, May it please your majesty, could I possess the tinker's ability for preaching, I would willingly relinquish all my learning. You see, sometimes we can value the wrong things. Again, there's nothing wrong with having an education, but if we put that first and foremost... That degree, those letters behind our name, whatever it is. Sometimes when I was teaching at Maranatha, some students just assumed that I was a doctor. Dr. Fleming, you know. I said, well, I'm not even a nurse. (laughs) Well, I think we, education is good, but it can be used in the wrong way many times. And so they valued the wrong things. Secondly, the second one is they were not willing to obey. Notice here in verse 17, we've already looked at 17, but if we go back there, we notice, if any man will do his will, 
He shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Now, you notice further that what Jesus is saying here, the reason that people do not recognize Jesus for who he is does not hinge on having enough evidence, but rather having enough obedience. If a person is willing to obey God, he will know that Jesus was sent by God and that God, he speaks God's truth. Don't seek to understand in order to believe, but believe so you might understand. In other words, if you come to the Bible as a scoffer, you're going to go away as a scoffer. Jesus never committed himself to unbelief. And that's a basic principle of human relationships. Let's say you're having a problem or you're having a difficulty spiritually or relationally with someone. And if someone comes to you with a critical, hostile attitude, you're not going to commit yourself to them. You're probably going to resist them. But you know, if someone comes to you wanting to help you and be and offers their help kindly, you're more likely to open yourself up to them. And so similarly, Jesus said, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest, I will show myself to him. The opposite is true. If you don't obey Christ, he won't reveal himself to you. And so they were not willing to obey. Here's another sin that caused the people to reject Christ, and that is they were legalistic hypocrites. Verse 19, Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go ye about to kill me? The Jewish leaders prided themselves on obeying the Mosaic law, but Jesus shows them for what they are. The scribes and the Pharisees meticulously tithed their table spices, but they neglected the weightier provisions of the law. And here they want to break the sixth commandment by killing Jesus. You know, legalism is when a person keeps certain uh, man-made rules or parts of God's word that he can do externally so that everyone will notice how righteous he is but he doesn't deal with the sin of his own heart. And since the Lord knows every private thought that you have this morning, it's foolish to try to put on an outward show of righteousness, while at the same time you're neglecting judging sinful thoughts, such as pride or greed or lust or selfishness or jealousy. You may impress others, but you know what? God isn't impressed at all. Legalistic hypocrisy will cause you to reject Jesus, the righteous one who sees right through you. People reject Jesus in spite of who he is, fourthly, because they're under satanic influences. Verse 20 says, The Bible answered and said, Thou hast a devil who goeth about to kill thee. Now this crowd may have been ignorant of the leader's intent to kill Jesus, but their response of accusing Jesus of having a demon was evidence that they themselves were under the devil's influence. Since they thought that mental illness, such as paranoia, stemmed from demonic activity, they may have only been accusing Jesus of being crazy. But still, to charge the true and righteous one of having a demon can only come from a satanic influence. 
It's interesting here that in John, there are no stories of Jesus casting out demons. They have them in the other Gospels, but there are several occasions where Jesus is accused of being demon-possessed. John tells us in 1 John 5, 19, And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Or Paul states with reference to those who are perishing, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You see, for people to receive Christ, the Holy Spirit must open their eyes to see something of His glory. And so people reject Jesus in spite of who He is because they value the wrong things. They're not willing to obey. They're legalistic hypocrites. They're under satanic influences. And finally, they judge according to outward appearance. Verse 24. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Jesus exhorts these scoffers. They were judging Jesus because he healed a man and told him to carry his bed on the Sabbath. And that was in violation of their legalistic additions to the Sabbath commandment. But at the same time, they were rejecting the true and righteous one, and they were seeking to kill him. I think one of the most misunderstood, misapplied verses in the whole Bible, or let alone the New Testament, is Matthew 7, 1. Judge not, that you be not judged. If people would bother to read a few verses further, Jesus commands not to throw your pearls before the swine. And he's talking about people who are swine. He's not talking about pigs. And he goes on to warn about wolves in sheep's clothing. Obviously, to obey those commands, you have to make some judgments. The Bible commands us to be discerning with regard to false teaching and even the demonic activity that takes place. The point is that if you judge who Jesus is just superficially, you'll end up rejecting him as he really is. There are many who think that Jesus was always gentle and kind and just a nice guy. And I'm not sure how that myth ever got started. Yes, Jesus is gentle. He is kind. And he is a nice guy. But if you read the Gospels, you'll see that there are places where Jesus strongly confronts sin. You can't trust in him and walk with him without him confronting your sin. He always does it, though, in love because... Sin destroys us. But he does confront it. And if you truly believe in Jesus, you'll let his word confront your sin on a regular basis as well. Now, this brings me back to verse 17 again. If you want to know who Jesus is and whether he is true and righteous one, sent by God, if you're willing to obey God's will as revealed in his word, as someone has said, it's difficult for us to believe because it's difficult for us to to obey. But if you're willing to obey, God will show you that Jesus is God's true and righteous one. And he's worthy of all your trust. Heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. As we think about Jesus.